What a great blessing to, to our hearts. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. If you're a Christ follower today and you can't shout that with your heart, something's wrong with you, right? Great is the faithfulness of God. And we praise Him this morning. Take your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, we're continuing our series on fear not, how to have peace in an age of anxiety, how to have peace in an age of anxiety. The first time that I can remember the sting of rejection was the fourth grade. She caught my eye the first day of school, and I decided that I would take the plunge. Do you guys know what I mean by the plunge? I I, I know that you do, right? This is the plunge, right? So you write the note, you make sure that there's a box to be checked, you fold it up as many times as you can, And you pass it to a friend, to a friend, to a friend, to a friend, and ultimately to the one it's intended for. When she said no, I felt like I had been stung by a bee. The pain was insurmountable until the next day when another girl caught my eye and I passed the note to her and she said yes. And so we became boyfriend and girlfriend. We sat beside each other in the cafeteria, and all the other fourth graders voted us most likely to succeed. The sting of rejection had been replaced by the joy of acceptance until the next week when we broke up. The truth of the matter is, all of us in this room understand the sting of rejection. It's a part of life. We've all been there. We've all felt it. We've all experienced it. We didn't win the heart of the person we pursued. We didn't get the job that we wanted. We didn't get chosen for the team. And as a result, fear sets in. And we begin telling ourselves, well, what if it happens again? What if I get rejected again? And finally, we come to a place where fear overtakes us and we find ourselves saying, I just don't think I can go through this again. Rejection shows up in more ways than we know. Right? The fear of being rejected by a man or a woman, after you've grown to care about them, the fear of not being fully welcomed into a community of friends, the fear of being dismissed by your colleagues at work when they find out what you believe, the fear of someone walking away from an intentional conversation you're trying to start. Right? Or maybe you're one of those who felt like you were born with the sting of rejection, right? Because your dad didn't stick around even long enough to say hi to you when you were born. 
Or maybe your spouse walked out the door for someone else. Or your parents split and you find yourself shuffled between two homes and you don't know where you fit. Or a trusted friend all of a sudden no longer takes your phone calls and no longer responds to your texts. The fear of rejection. In his book, Goliath Must Fall, Louis Giglio writes and he says, Rejection is like a constant companion. It is like a cold wind that follows you wherever you go. And some form of it has riddled you with insecurity, insignificance, and a feeling of abandonment. He, he explains it this way. He goes on. The giant called rejection has cousins on both sides of the family. And the two sides don't look anything alike. On one side of the family, the cousins are called insecurity, low self-esteem, low self-worth, inferiority, and even self-hate. On the other side of the family... The cousins are called driven to succeed, perfectionism, winning at all costs, and being an overachiever. Both sets of behavior are part of the same dysfunctional family. If you've been told you're worthless, then you think low of yourself. And if you've been told you're only valuable when you perform, then you think you've got to prove yourself in order to be accepted. Every person battles some form of rejection. And he's exactly right. Rejection always hurts. And it always hurts more than we expected it to. It's interesting. I came across this this week. And just thinking about why rejection hurts so much. In a recent discovery, scientists actually placed people in MRI machines and then asked them while they were in the MRI machine to recall a recent rejection. And here's what they discovered. The same areas of our brain are activated when we experience rejection as when we experience physical pain. They say that's why even small rejections hurt more than we think they should because they elicit literal pain. Even if it's emotional, it still is triggered in the brain. They call it evolutionary biology. I wonder if I might offer another option. Is it possible that rejection stings because acceptance eludes us? Rejection stings because acceptance eludes us. Let me share with you one of the greatest sentences ever written. In this one single sentence, you can find the basic theme of life itself. St. Augustine of Hippo wrote this somewhere around A.D. 400. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. 
Augustine said this search for acceptance is not anything new. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden where before Adam and Eve sinned, the Bible says they were naked and unashamed because they were clothed in the love of God. They were clothed in the acceptance of God. But one of the very first effects of sin was shame over their nakedness. See, they had always been naked. But Augustine says, now they felt naked. And he says, that's a picture of humanity. We all feel ashamed and acceptance eludes us. And that's why our lives are constantly spent looking for validation. So let me get personal for a moment. For 39 years, I have served the church. And there have been times in those 39 years where I was motivated by acceptance and approval. And eventually, I began to place my value on how people accepted me. How people in the church responded to me. And this motivation, in reality, is a very unhealthy motivation. And I didn't realize how unhealthy it was until many years ago, some people in the church that I was serving came to me and they let me know in no uncertain terms that they were unhappy with me. And it was a rejection that cut me to the core. I was grieving deeply. And I, I couldn't even really, in a sense, understand why I was grieving so deeply. And then I realized I had been placing my value on how people in the pew perceived me. And the Lord taught me, even through a tear or two, a valuable gospel truth. Your worth is based on your birth. Your worth is based on your birth. See, the Word of God teaches us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. David says, for you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made that God is involved in every person's life from the very beginning. And by beginning, I mean conception. Right now, even though this sermon is not about abortion, let me just say that when an abortion is taking place, a murder is taking place. Dear ones, God is involved in every person's life. The Bible says, from the beginning. That means you are special from the beginning. God wove you together. And that is why... Praise should flow from our lips. 
Because we know that God has made us. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. The word fearful means to be worthy of respect. The word wonderful means to distinguish. In other words, God has uniquely crafted every single one of us in this house of worship today. We are unique craftsmanship by God Himself. And so the result should be praise from our lips. Now, David is not looking in the mirror saying, Wow, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm awesome. No, I think David is looking in the mirror and saying, God, you are awesome because of what you have done in me. Your work is awesome, God. And I am a part of your work. I don't believe when David made this sentence, he was full of himself. When David says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, David is full of God and what God has done in his life. God made you uniquely and wonderfully. God put a longing for more in your heart. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 that God has put eternity in the heart of man. God has set eternity in our hearts. We all have a a sense of purpose, a sense of destiny. That no matter what we look to satisfy that need, it eludes us. No matter how many times we place our life's value on the acceptance of others, we still find ourselves in an empty place. Why? Because Solomon says everything under the sun is often empty. Everything under the sun is often futile. Everything under the sun is often full of despair. We must understand, dear ones, this world is not our paradise. We long for more. We long for something that transcends time and we can see that it was placed there by God Himself. God placed it there. Why? That we might crave Him. That we might look for Him. That we might search for Him. C.S. Lewis put it this way. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in the world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And he is right. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. God has put a longing for more in our hearts. And that brings us to what I wanted to share with you from Ephesians 2. God paid an enormous price for us. That's that's what Paul is saying in Ephesians 2. If you go back and you read the first three verses, you will find out just how dead in sin you were. Find out how dead in trespasses and sins you were. You were following the prince of the power of the air. You were by nature a child of wrath. And then you come to verse 4 and one of the greatest conjunctives in all the word of God where the Bible says, but God, but God. 
And Paul is telling us in these verses that Bob read earlier that being saved means we're greatly loved. Being saved means we're made alive with Christ. Being saved means we're raised with Christ. Being saved means we're seated with Christ. As children of God, we are loved unconditionally. As children of God, we are loved without end. We have been saved by the excessive love, mercy, and grace of God. God paid an enormous price for you and me. So it begs the question, what is the reason why God paid such an enormous price for you and me? The answer is found in Verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Why did God pay such an enormous price for you? So that he could show off his grace. Why did God pay such an enormous price for you? So that He could show off His loving kindness. Why did God pay such an enormous price for you? So that He could show off His mercy. So that He could show off His heart. He could show off His love. That's why God paid such an enormous price for you. If you have been born again, and this is a lesson that God has had to teach me many times. God is still teaching me this lesson. If you've been born again, you don't have anything to prove to anybody. You can't be more loved and accepted than you are right now by the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing you could do that would cause Him to love you more. There's nothing you could do that would cause Him to love you less. He loves you, Paul says, fully. He loves you completely. And that is grace. God paid an enormous price for you. And as a result, He wants you to walk in His goodness. And we all know verses 8 and 9. Many of us in this house of worship could recite it, right? By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, so that no man can boast. But then we have verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, which God prepared in advance. That you would walk in them. So think about that, dear ones. God made you with His own hands. He placed a longing for more in your heart. He paid an enormous price for you when He gave the Lord Jesus Christ to suffer, bleed, and die for you. And He wants you to walk in His goodness. He sees you as His masterpiece. When Miss Rachel this morning played, Great is thy faithfulness. This is where my mind was, Rachel. Because that is a listening illustration of this verse. Right? 
We are a masterpiece. We are a heavenly piece of poetry. And that's what Paul is saying. He created us. He has a purpose for our life. He has prepared good things for us to do. We need to stop worrying about who accepts us and who rejects us. And we just need to be confident in who we are and who God has made us to be. And we need to walk in His goodness. We need to walk in those things that He prepared for us. The Bible says He prepared those for us before we were even born. Right? If you look in Ephesians 1 in verse 4, He chose us in Him from before the foundations of the world. There's an image of His grace. Pastor Judd Wilhite explains it this way. He says, you'll face rejection in life, but you are not a reject. You are chosen by God. You are chosen for peace, joy, mercy, protection, inclusion, heaven, provision, and strength. You are chosen for God's favor, chosen for God's guidance, chosen for God's love. You are chosen for God's glory. You are not forsaken. You are not worthless. You are not overlooked. You are not unloved. You are not second class. You can reject your rejection because you are chosen by God. God knows you. God chose you. You are not chosen for despair. You are chosen for hope. You are not chosen for a lesser future. You are chosen for a better future. Your great God has chosen you for great things. And that is certainly true. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance that we would walk in them. So before you go to Bible study today, let's just take this truth home with us this morning. It's not about who accepts you. It's about who already accepted you, right? It's not about who accepts you. It's about who has already accepted you. Therefore, it's not about who rejects you. It's about one who will never reject you. What do you see when you look in the mirror? I don't know what you see. I don't know if you see something that's awesome. Or something that's not so awesome. But I know that your worth is based on your birth. Your spiritual birth. Your union with Christ. Your redemption in Christ Jesus. I know that in any gathering like this, there are Two groups of people represented. So let me speak for a moment to group one. And group one would be those who are here today who are not Christ followers. Who are 
just living life on their own. You're a good person, you're a kind person, you're a generous person, but you don't feel that a relationship with Jesus Christ is what is absolutely necessary for you to discover the more that God has put in your heart. I would ask you, as I do every week, if that's you, when you put your head on your pillow at night and you think about what's next, is there a peace in your mind? Is there a peace in your heart? Right When you think about a life without Christ, is that working well for you? Jesus Christ loves you. Your Heavenly Father has made you uniquely and wonderfully. And He has put a void in your heart that only He can fill. It's placed there intentionally. So that you could open your eyes and see that God paid an enormous price for you when He gave you Jesus. And today, you can be a recipient of His grace. In this very moment, you can open your heart and surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ. Right where you're seated, you can just say, Lord Jesus, thank you for giving so much for me. Cleanse my heart, redeem me, change me. I believe you are the Son of God. And from this day forward, I will follow you for the rest of my life. And if you make that your prayer today, you know what will happen? <laughs> God will change your life now and forever. And He will give you peace in an age of uncertainty. Now let me also speak to a second group here today. You are a Christ follower. You are in Christ Jesus. But maybe you're like me. Maybe sometimes you place your value in the wrong places. Maybe you place your value on how others see you, how others perceive you, how others accept you. And when they reject, your heart is crushed. And I just want to say to you today, when you look in the mirror and God is looking back at you, He sees you as a masterpiece. You might feel like a mess, because sometimes I do. But dear ones, you are a masterpiece of God. And if you don't see it yet, Maybe it's because you're spending too much time looking out when you ought to spend more time looking up. Just looking up and gazing at the beauty, the greatness, the power, the glory, the majesty, and the splendor of God. 
when you do, you will know that your worth is based on your birth. You know that God no longer sees your shortcomings. When God looks at you, all He sees is Jesus. When God looks at you, He doesn't see unrighteousness. He sees the perfect righteousness of the Lamb of God. You know that God paid the highest price imaginable for you. You know that your worth is so high in His eyes that you can't ever do anything to add to it. and You can't ever do anything to take away from it. You know that Jesus Christ will never reject you. You know that you can trust in the finished work of Christ. How do we deal with the fear of rejection? We just look up and see Jesus. And see what He has done for us. And we trust Him. And we find our joy. And we find our peace. And we find our purpose in Christ Jesus. 